I'm Dennis Tubergen. This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. Glad you decided to tune in today. Hey, today joining me in the second and third segments will be Mr. Simon Popple. Simon is the publisher of the Brookville Capital Intelligence Report. Uh, I know you're going to enjoy my conversation with Simon. He's going to share with you uh, some of the strategies that he's advising his newsletter readers to consider uh, in today's environment. You know, on today's program, I want to talk to you a bit about what I shared on a client webinar last Monday. And for those of you that are not familiar with our website, our website is literally, we believe, loaded with resources to help you figure out what's the best thing to do with your money today. And on that website, you can get access to our weekly Portfolio Watch newsletter. You can get access to the podcast version of this radio program. And also, every Monday, I do an update webinar with clients. And uh, that's actually started back in March to keep clients apprised as to what was going on as we were navigating what was and remains a really tumultuous economic situation. We now are making that webinar available to any of our radio listeners as well that would like to participate. You can go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com and you can watch the webinar replays. Uh, You can also register to participate every Monday at noon and uh, ask questions as well. This month, I'm also offering a free report. Uh, This is our January client-only communication And it's titled, Does the Recently Passed COVID Relief Bill Threaten Your Retirement? I think you'll find it to be an interesting perspective. And if you'd like to get a copy of that report, we'd be glad to send it to you free of charge, no obligation. Just go to requestyourreport.com. Again, the website is requestyourreport.com to get that communication. Now, one of the themes, obviously, with over $3 trillion of money creation last year On this program, we have been talking about that, and we've been talking about what will the ultimate consequences be. And history, as we've discussed, teaches us that money printing always ends badly, and the end of the cycle sees money printing occurring in exponentially greater amounts. Now, on the first program during the month of December, uh, we talked about the fact that A lot of foreign investors, in particular China and Japan, who at one time had a voracious appetite for U.S. government debt, have now almost quit accumulating it if you look at the two countries together. And when you look at this cycle, printing or money creation typically occurs initially because the government has overspent to the point that the government now has become less creditworthy. See, initially, when a government begins to operate with budget deficits, they're able to sell bonds to investors who are willing to help the government finance its deficit spending, and in exchange, the investor gets interest, and eventually, at some future maturity date, they get their principal back. However, this chronic perpetual overspending eventually leads to money creation at an even greater scale as investors become even more skeptical of a government's ability to repay the loan. And once this money creation begins, as I noted just a minute ago, 
It's a self-feeding cycle, and it takes greater amounts of money to accomplish the same outcome. And eventually, you see inflation emerge. And that may be where we are at today. On the client-only webinar this past week, I talked about the fact that the Food and Agricultural Organization's Food Price Index rose for the seventh consecutive month in December. Now, that probably comes as no surprise to you if you, like me, go to the grocery store occasionally. Now, dairy products and vegetable oils rose the most in price during the month of December. Uh, Vegetable oil prices up 19.1%, according to the Food and Agricultural Organization's Food Price Index, over year over year. Uh, Dairy up a similar amount. Now, of course, there is a discussion in the article in which I found these statistics about interruptions in the palm oil supply chain. Uh, There's always a reason given for rising prices other than the obvious, which is there's money being created. And when we get too much money being created, we get inflation. Now, analyst Albert Edwards um, is starting to worry about food inflation. And he noted, uh, as I did, that this FAO food price index has been surging. Uh, Edward noted, uh, as I did, that cereal prices, vegetable oil prices, dairy prices, all up 20% approximately year over year. And Edwards noted that the last time we saw this was back in 2011. And he made it very clear in his commentary who he thought was to blame for the food price inflation then. And he blames the same culprit led by a different person at the present time. Referring to 2011, here's what Edwards had to say. Despite despite rather Ben Bernanke's denials that the Fed's quantitative easing policies caused rampant food price inflation in 2011, many economists such as myself believe that was absolutely the case. The case rather. Edwards says that What's happening is now, even in the richest country in the world, referring to the United States, food poverty has become a real problem. Now, as you are listening to this, as I am recording this week's program, central banks around the world are still injecting $1.4 billion in newly created cash into capital markets every hour. $1.4 billion every hour. Now, it's no surprise that we're seeing inflation. Now, Bernanke, um, who Mr. Edwards quoted, who denied that quantitative easing or money creation policies created inflation, you know, of course, Mr. Bernanke denied it because to admit that quantitative easing or money creation created food price inflation would be to admit failure. And yet, you only have to go to the grocery store to see the evidence. Now, unless monetary policies change in the future, inflation, in my view, will have to continue to accelerate. Now, we'll have to see how things play out, but the recently passed pork-laden $2.3 trillion spending package and 
in that spending package was nearly a trillion for COVID relief. And without commenting on the, 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 the necessity of having to pass a bill like that, the reality is that that bill will be funded through more money creation. If that continues, if more stimulus is passed, which seems to be the case, again, I believe more inflation is inevitable. Now, as we move through what I believe will be another rather tumultuous year, or at least a few months at a minimum, we're going to continue to monitor money creation levels, and we'll make recommendations to our listeners as to what you might consider. Now, in the last segment of today's program, I'm going to comment on a change that the Fed made in their reporting in December. This reporting, I should say reporting change, has gone largely unreported by mainstream media. However, the Fed is changing the way that they're reporting the money supply. Now, if you go to the website, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com, and look at the most recent Portfolio Watch newsletter, I have included a chart in that newsletter that shows the level of money creation over time. The chart started in 1980, and from 1980 through 2010, the annual level of fiat currency increase was about 6.5% per year. So the money supply increased about 6.5% per year. From 2010 to 2020, the money supply increased at almost 10% per year. And in 2020, when you look at the money supply, it went vertical. The money supply increased 35% in a matter of months. Well, when you look at the chart and look at money creation and think about how consumer prices have tracked money creation over that same time frame, and yes, they're, they're very, very close, although money creation tends to come first, inflation tends to come a bit later. That does not bode well for what we might see moving ahead. Well, the Fed now has decided to change the way they report the money supply. And I'll talk about this in the last segment of today's program. However, as I talk about with Simon Popple in the next couple segments, and as he notes, when you change the reporting, you don't change the reality. And that's a very profound statement. When you change the reporting, you don't change the reality. And when it comes to planning for retirement, when it comes to managing your nest egg, you have to deal with reality. And we have some additional resources. If you're just joining us, I'd like to make you aware of. You can go to our website, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. You can get a look at the newsletter uh, where we have uh, reproduced the chart that I just referenced. You can also sign up for our Monday client-only webinar. And you can also get the podcast version of the radio program. And if you'd also like to get our January client-only report, addressing or asking the question, will the recently passed COVID relief uh, bill adversely affect your retirement? You can get that report by visiting requestyourreport.com. The website again is requestyourreport.com. We'd be glad to send you that report uh, free and with no obligation. I'll be back after these words with Mr. Simon Popple.
You are listening to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I have the pleasure of chatting once again today with Mr. Simon Popple. Simon is the author of the Brookville Capital Intelligence Report. Uh, that is a weekly publication that predominantly covers gold and silver companies in Canada on Australia and Australia. If you'd like more information about Simon or his work, you can visit brookvillecapital.com, and Brookville is spelled B-R-O-O-K-V-I-L-L-E, brookvillecapital.com. And Simon, welcome back to the program. Great to be here. So, Simon, the world is, as we talked a bit before we started recording, uh, to use a word that probably doesn't do it justice, uh, interesting. Things are rapidly evolving, uh, a lot going on uh, uh, politically, a lot going on uh, you know, uh, soci- socially, uh, economically. So let, let's focus a bit on uh, you know, what's going on as far as monetary policy is concerned, because that particular topic is kind of taking a back seat uh, on, on certainly mainstream news. Um, but when you look at the level of, of debt that exists around the world, uh, both in the private sector and, and sovereign debt, uh, the numbers are staggering. And, you know, we are on a trajectory that is obviously very, uh, it's going to be impossible to, to sustain. So can, can you comment a bit on that topic? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, one of the reasons I like gold and silver and for that matter, other commodities is you, you can't print them. And as you rightly say, you know, debt levels globally are, you know, reaching kind of eye-watering levels. And um, not only that, but interest uh, rates are, are, are essentially plunging. Uh, you know, in some areas they're negative. So uh, I, I think from an investor's perspective, uh, you have to be a lot more thoughtful and creative about, you know, how you plan for the future because, uh, certainly, you know, my folks, they would um, take out an annuity or, you know, buy government bonds that paid a, a decent uh, annual income, which, you know, you could live off. But um, with negative interest rates and debt just, you know, spiraling, um, I don't think that that's going to be the case for, for, for people looking to retire anytime soon. So, um, you know, it, it's a worrying time even without that. But I think if you add that to the mix, um, especially if we have any inflation, then uh, people really do need to think about the future. Simon, when you look at the level of uh, money creation that is taking place globally, um, in fact, a story that I commented on uh, this past week in my newsletter I send out to uh, to listeners and clients, uh, it was really not reported that the, the Fed in December just quietly changed the way they were going to report uh, M1 and M2 uh, money supply, that uh, the reporting would now take place monthly starting in February versus weekly, and they were changing the methodology. To me, that's a red flag that, oh, this is getting a little bit out of hand. We don't want people to see exactly how much money we're creating, so let's change the reporting methodology. Um, how long can this continue, in your view, and how will gold and silver and tangible investments ultimately perform, in your opinion? Well, I saw a graph this actually well, last week, that showed gold and the M2 money, money supply correlating very closely indeed. And so, uh, you know, even though they changed the reporting, you know, it doesn't change the results. And it would be very interesting to see uh, if that correlation continues, because uh, if it does, and there's no reason to believe that it won't, then as the M2 su- M- supply increases, then, um, you know, if, if history is 
uh, any indicator of, of what's going to happen in the future, then um, one would expect the gold price to, to move up as well. So when you look at different tangible assets in which an investor might uh, move some of their portfolio to hedge from inflation, uh, there's there's gold, there's silver. Uh, do, do you have a favorite? I, I think, to be honest, you need a bit of diversity. And, uh, you know, I throw precious metal groups into that. So, you know, platinum and palladium. Um, you know, I, I don't think there is any perfect hedge for inflation. But but by having a diverse portfolio of tangible assets, I, I think you certainly help your cause. And um, in, the thing about gold is it's, it's pretty close to its all-time highs, whereas silver is nowhere near its all-time highs. So, um, you know, gold is uh, it's quite interesting, actually, because Bitcoin is actually depicted as a gold coin, which makes me smile a bit. But um, <laughs> I, I think having a bit of, bit of all of those in your portfolio uh, along with you know other things as well, uh, should put you in pretty good stead for um, whatever the future throws at us. Well, if, you, if you're just joining us, my guest today is Mr. Simon Popple. He is the author of the Brookville Capital Intelligence Report. You can learn more at brookvillecapital.com. You know, as we're chatting, uh, Simon, I should point out to the listeners that we're recording this on the 11th, and uh, this interview obviously is going to air uh, as soon as five days after we record it. So a lot can change. But as we're talking now, uh, you know, we've seen a pretty good pullback in gold and silver prices. Um, to what extent do you think that this is market market driven? And to what extent do you think that there's still some price suppression going on in the market? There's been, uh, you know, proven manipulation in the market by several entities in the past. So how do, how do you view what's going on now as far as gold and silver prices? Well, you can't change the fundamentals, and I think the fundamentals are very supportive of gold and silver prices. Um, I think what, what, what one of the problems of the market is actually one of its strengths, and that is it's so liquid and such a deep market. So if you do need to sell assets to cover other positions, uh, there's, there's generally a buyer for your gold and silver. So Quite often, if people are perhaps kind of covering a short or they've got a need for cash and some liquidity, then um, the gold and silver is, is a sort of go-to asset to liquidate. I think also psychologically, it's much easier to, uh, to liquidate a profit position rather than a loss position. So I think when you have a good run-up, like we've had in gold and silver over the last few weeks, um, it doesn't surprise me at all that there's a bit of profit taking, but um, I would expect it to kind of revert back to the the norm and, you know, the price to improve over the next few weeks. You know, we're going to talk a bit about uh, specific investment strategies in the next segment with uh, Simon. But, you know, I would like, uh, Simon, your take on, you know, exactly how much longer all this money creation can continue. And, you know, what's your view of the end game? History tells us that, you know, fiat currencies have a 100 percent failure rate. Uh, do you see that as being the ultimate outcome? Do you see a reset? Well, how, do, how do you see the end game playing out here? Oh, well, I mean, that, that's like the, the million-dollar question or the multi-million-dollar question, as the case will probably be. But, I mean, um, we're on a path that, that, that no one really wants to be on. Um, I think some sort of reset is inevitable. Um, but, um, you know, we've got no idea when that's going to be. Um, and... Um, uh, you know, there's a lot of minds thinking about the future. No one seems to have come up with an answer yet. Um, but um, 
things are certainly getting worse. I mean, with the amount of money printing going on, um, we haven't had inflation yet. And uh, hopefully we won't have it for a long time. But I think once we get inflation, that is a, a strong indication that things are starting to get out of control. So, you know, Simon, just to, to, to provide a different perspective on that, I have had uh, Ed Batowski on the program. He is the uh, founder of the Chapwood Index. I've had John Williams on the program. And they would argue that if you, you know, go back and calculate the inflation rate using methodologies that were used in the past, that arguably we've got inflation of, of 8 or 9%. What would your position be as far as the real inflation rate? Yeah, that's John from Shadow Stats, is it that you correct? Talking about? Correct, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, eight eight percent doesn't doesn't surprise me. Um, and you know, certainly if you look at the inflation in the sixties and seventies, uh, you know, if you use eight percent as your as your sort of um, uh, yardstick, then you know that would be viewed as very normal. Um, what what is actually quite scary when you use that level of inflation is if you do a present value of an asset in 10 years time so you know for example you know if someone's going to retire in 10 years time or uh, need some money in 10 years time then um, the multiplier is less than half so even if you had two even if you're working towards having two million dollars in 10 years time in today's money that is less than a million dollars which i think is pretty scary and so um the, uh, the I, I think personally my, my level is above what what the headline inflation level is, which is I think around two two and a half percent. But um, a lot depends on you know what you're buying, and you know if you're buying uh, fuel and things like that, which are which are pretty stable, then uh, your your inflation rate is pretty low. But if you're buying certain foods. Uh, your inflation rate is probably well over 8%. So um, I, I wouldn't disagree with them, but I think a lot depends on what you're buying. And uh, I, I think if, if people are interested in the subject, they really need to look at the basket that the government is using to, to calculate inflation. Well, I visited your website, uh, brookvillecapital.com, and uh, you have a, uh, a very strong background in this area, including uh, you set up uh, gold speculated with Jim Rickards, which I just learned. And uh, Mr. Rickards has been a guest here on the program in the past as well. And he just came out and predicted that we would see $15,000 per ounce gold within the next five years. Would you agree with him? Uh, I wouldn't disagree with him. You know, I, I think a lot depends on uh, how how things unfold. Uh I mean, it's very difficult to sort of put a number on or, uh, you know, a forecast on where the gold price would be. But I, I think the gold price could be significantly higher than it is today uh, if uh, if this money printing continues and, uh, you know, we get uh, inflation, anything like the levels that you were referring to earlier of sort of 8 9%. Um, if we get that, then, yes, I think uh, the gold price could in increase dramatically and, you know, potentially even to the kind of levels that Jim's referring to. Well, my guest today is Mr. Simon Popple. His website is brookvillecapital.com. I would encourage you to check it out. I'll be back with Simon in the next segment. Stay with us.
Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I'm chatting today with Mr. Simon Popple, and uh, Simon's website is uh, Brookville Capital. Uh, he is the author of the Brookville Capital Intelligence Report. And uh, Simon, uh, in the last segment, we talked about the importance of having tangible assets in someone's portfolio. And there are a number of listeners out there that say, okay, tangible assets, why don't I go, why don't I go buy an exchange-traded fund that tracks the price of gold and silver. Can you talk a bit about getting exposure to tangible assets using an ETF versus maybe owning the physical metals? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my um, my preference is to avoid the kind of counterparty risk you would have with an ETF. Um, I like the uh, the chain to be as short as possible, which means that you know you you, you own either the physical asset. Or shares in a in a company that uh, owns those sort of assets. So um, you know that's one of the reasons I like to to invest in uh, either physical gold or gold and silver mining companies um, because um, you know you can't print it and you don't have the the counterparty risk that you would with a with an ETF with all the the links in a, in a chain. Well, Simon, you mentioned mining shares, so let's let's go down that road a minute, if we could. Uh, talk about the relationship as far as as price price movement is concerned, uh, and and this is typical, obviously, uh, what, what's happened historically. So when 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 gold moves up and mining shares move up, uh, talk a bit about that relationship. No, sure. Well, I mean, I think the first point to to pick up on is the fact that you know all mining stocks are different. Uh, some mining companies are, are really explorers, others are producing. So you really need to understand you know, what you're investing in in the first place. But just to keep it simple, let's look at a, a producer. Um, now, again, keeping numbers simple, if we assume a gold price of about $1,500 an ounce and um, the mining costs, the oil and sustainable costs are about $1,000 per ounce, then that's a, a, a profit to the mining company of about $500 an ounce. So let's say the gold price goes up to about $1,800 an ounce. Uh, now, it's unlikely that uh, the costs will go up by the same amount, uh, but let's assume they go up to about uh, $1,100 uh, per ounce. Um, so what you have there is you, you've then got a notional profit of $700 an ounce, which compared to your previous $500 an ounce, you know, you've got an increase of 40%. Um, in in the profitability of the company you're investing in, yet the the price of gold has only gone up 20%. So it kind of shows how um, by investing in this sector, um, you can get some you know some really good leverage if the metal prices and costs work in your favour. So when people start to investigate and explore mining shares to determine whether or not it makes sense for them to invest. There's the term senior miners and there's the term junior miners. Uh, can you explain to the listeners just on a very basic level the difference between the two? Well, yeah, I mean, I must say I've never heard the term senior miners before. I mean, I think they're really producers, but it's a very good good analogy um, because basically when, when, when people look at a mining company, what you need to look at is are they already producing uh, the product? Because if... if if they're already producing gold or silver, then what you tend to find is that the, the, their performance is very much linked to the gold or silver price. 
if they are exploring for gold or silver, on the one hand, yes, their price does tend to improve or, or, or decline with movement in gold and silver prices. But also, um, if they find something, now that's a big if, but if they do find something, um, then the price can move dramatically. So when you're talking about a company that is exploring, are, are these typically uh, startup companies and uh, uh, you know, what type of investors should be looking at the, the, the companies that are already producing versus those that are exploring? Yeah, well, I, I, I think that, you know, people need to realize that explorers are certainly riskier. So if you are looking at those sort of companies, you want to have a broader portfolio, um, which obviously increases your chances of one of them finding something. Um, but if they do find something, I mean, a good case was Chalice that, recently made a discovery at Julimar, and Chalice's share price went from about 12.5 cents, uh, I think it's around sort of 4.30-ish now, $4.30. But you, you can see how, if they do find something, um, you know, the shares really can take off. But uh, people do need to, to be aware of the risk. You know, that's what I try and do with my um, my report, is, is to really condense my knowledge and expertise to try and improve people's chances of, um, you know, finding finding some winners. And uh, let's talk a bit about the the producing companies. Uh, uh, compare, if you will, the the volatility in in share price uh, to that of, uh, you know, an exploring company. And uh, you know, what type of uh, what type of shares, if any, might be suitable for someone who is retired and they're looking to generate income in their portfolio, which, as we talked about in the first segment, is very difficult to do these days. Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, I, I think that if people are retired, then they're probably better off looking at producers because um, a lot of producers, uh, they have a dividend. And more importantly, uh, they're still paying it. And in some cases, they're actually increasing it. Which is is different to to many other um, non mining companies that are either slashing their dividends or, or stop you know they stop paying them, and um, I, th I think you know that's the first point. The second point is that even though the yield may be relatively low at the moment, if the gold or silver price does take off, then some of these companies have got dividend policies which are very much linked to gold and silver prices. So um, not only could you get some appreciation in the value of your shares, but um, uh, higher dividend payouts may mean that um, you know you get a, a dramatically better dividend yield than you're getting at the moment. So I think for a lot of our listeners that maybe aren't familiar with this topic, um, it might be interesting to talk about the difference between a company that you know are companies in this in this field typically mining for. Just silver, just gold. Uh, they do they do both. What what do these companies' uh, businesses typically look like? Uh, well, they vary enormously. I mean, some are really just looking at gold. Others are just looking at silver. Some have combinations, and what they what they call it in terms of the way they report it is either gold equivalent ounces or silver equivalent ounces. Where quite often they're, they're let's say primarily looking for gold, but there's silver, copper, zinc, and other valuable um, commodities down there. So when they bring the rule up, they're actually 
you know, separating that out, and they'll perhaps produce an, a lead or zinc or silver concentrate as well, which clearly has got value. Um, but most of them, um, they're predominantly linked to a particular commodity, and therefore the share price is, is predominantly linked to the movement in that commodity price. Um, but you know what I like about it is you know we're talking about tangible um, commodities here. You can't print them, and therefore, if people invest in, in in this sector, if that commodity does well, then um, you know not only can the shares do well, but um, you know they can also get a nice a nice income from their investment. So Simon, looking ahead, and we talked about you know the the, the global debt levels in the first segment. We talked about monetary policy. Um, can you envision any event, any policy change that would make you bearish on this sector in the near term, say over the next 12 to 24 months? Uh, not really. I mean, I, I think the fundamentals really are, you know, very much lining up uh, in, in in favor of these sort of companies. Um, you know, unless there was something that was very left field, uh, some sort of, um, you know, major tax, new tax or something like that, um, you know, I can't see how, uh, you know, the companies, you know, shouldn't, uh, shouldn't perform pretty well. Well, uh, let's take a minute and uh, let you just explain to the listeners uh, a bit about your website, maybe give the web address and some of the resources that they find there. And uh, if someone wanted to learn more, what they might do. No, absolutely. Well, I mean, um, my name is Simon Popple. I've previously written newsletters for Money Week at Agora Financial uh, with a guy called Jim Rickard. So I've done this for, for a number of years. And um, the the ideas I've come up with have, have uh, by and large, performed very well. Probably my best performer is Chalice, which is up over 2,000%. Um, but what, what I basically do is provide a weekly report that... Uh, gives you research on a company that I particularly like. Um, it's then up to you to, you know, take a look at it yourself, discuss it with your own financial advisor, and decide whether or not it's for you. Um, what I do is I break these companies down in terms of risk. Some are far riskier than others, but um, quite a few of them pay dividends. So, you know, if you're interested in an income, then you can design a portfolio that kind of works for you. And, um, you know, at least what I'm doing is I'm providing you with um, some sort of expert advice on a sector that I've been involved in for a very long time. Well, my guest today is Mr. Simon Popple, and uh, Brookville Capital is his company. I would encourage you to check it out. Simon, always a pleasure to chat with you, and I would love to have you back down the road again. Great to talk, and I uh, look forward to speaking to you soon. We will return after these words. Stay with us. I'm Dennis Tuberg, and this is RLA Radio. Glad you're listening today. Thanks again to my special guest, Mr. Simon Popple, for joining me on this week's program. You know, in the first segment, I talked about the fact that money creation is occurring now worldwide at what is undoubtedly an unsustainable 
trajectory, and I talked about that with Simon Popple as well. Now, in December, as I alluded to in the first segment of today's program, the Federal Reserve, the Central Bank of the United States, decided to change the way the money supply is reported. Now, Dave Kranzler from Investment Research Dynamics wrote a piece on this, and I'm going to give you just a bit from his piece, and then I'll comment. He says, and I quote, of particular note, The publication frequency of the release will change from weekly to monthly, and the release will contain only monthly average data, end quote. So the Fed is changing the way they report the money supply. Instead of reporting it weekly, they're going to report it monthly, and they're going to report average data. So they're going to to change the way the numbers work. Now, here's more from Mr. Kranzler's piece. In addition to the reporting of the numbers monthly rather than weekly, the release will provide components of the monetary aggregates only at a total industry level without a breakdown of components by banks and thrifts. Well, guess what? The breakdown by the bank and thrift components contains the data that truth-seeking Fed analysts would like to see. The last weekly statistical release will be on February 11, 2021, and the data will be cleansed retroactive back to May of 2020. Again, no coincidence with the May 2020 retroactivity. I'd make a couple points. First of all, the money supply began to go vertical in May. And if you go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com and check out the Portfolio Watch newsletter dated January 11. I have published a chart of the money supply. And you can see that the money supply went almost vertical on the chart starting in May of 2020. Now, why is the Fed going back and cleansing the money reporting data? Whatever word you want to use there is fine. Cleanse, change, adjust, manipulate. Well, they're going back to when the money supply went vertical. The second thing I would point out is that the reporting frequency of the money supply will move from weekly, as it is presently reported, to monthly. So instead of publishing the data four times monthly, the data will only be published once monthly. And on top of that, the data will be reported will be monthly average data. In other words, there will be a change in the way the money supply data is reported. Now, this should not surprise any of us. It's not shocking. It's not surprising. Over the past 40 years or so, whenever reported economic data begins to look bad or concerning, the reporting methodology is changed to make the data look better. You can go back and take a look at the way the Inflation rate was calculated in the 1970s. In the 1970s, food prices were a component in calculating the consumer price index, which is the broad measure of inflation that is widely used. Well, food prices are no longer included in the CPI calculation. The unemployment rate calculation has been changed over the years. It's been changed to look more favorable. Part-time workers, 
that want to work full-time are no longer included in the headline unemployment rate, just for one example. So this is not a surprise. This playbook exists, and it's happening again. Now, as Simon Popple pointed out in the last segment, changing, changing the reporting does not change the reality. And I would observe that we are truly living in a time where the emperor has no clothes. There are many examples of it. Now, you are all undoubtedly familiar with this childhood story. I'll tell it to you as best I can here. A team of tailors arrives on the scene and tells the emperor they can make him this exquisite new suit of clothes that will also distinguish the fool's from those who are wise. The tailors tell the emperor that only those who are unfit for the jobs and positions they hold will be unable to see the suit. The wise will be able to see the suit very clearly. These charlatan tailors begin to sew the suit of clothes using imaginary cloth, imaginary needles, and make-believe thread. And as they are sewing this imaginary suit, the king sends delegations of representatives to review the progress of the suit's construction. Well, these delegates didn't want to seem be seen rather as being unfit for their jobs, so they admire the cloth and comment on how nicely the suit is coming along. Then the big day came. The emperor was to show off his new suit. He was walking through the, the streets in his underwear, and all the king's servants, all the king's employees, and all the king's employee, appointees were admiring how beautiful the new suit of clothes was. And it was a great day. Everybody was having a good time, and everything was fine until a small child, seeing that the emperor was walking through the streets nearly naked, whispered that the emperor had no clothes. Soon the whispers increased, and the message spread through the crowd until it reached the ears of the emperor, who suddenly was faced with the reality that the suit was merely make-believe. Now, here's my take. There are many, many aspects of our world that, in my view, now resemble an imaginary suit of clothes, and we are only one whisper away from having to face reality. It is that whisper that will wake everyone and alert them to the fact that what seemed mainstream was merely fantasy. Now, let me be clear. My crystal ball doesn't work either. I'm not sure what the whisper will be. I'm not sure when it will occur, but with each day that passes, with extreme monetary policy, we are getting closer to the whisper. And you want to make sure that you're ready. So we want to introduce you to some of the resources that we have available if you're just joining us. I'm offering our January client special report this month titled, Does the Recently Passed COVID Relief Bill Threaten Your Retirement? And uh, if you request that report, I'll also send along a copy of the Revenue Sourcing Book that was a number one best, bestseller on Amazon last year in four, four categories. To get the report and the book, you can go to requestyourreport.com. I'll be glad to send you the report and the book uh, absolutely free. And uh, also, we've got our website at retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. Uh, we have a weekly update webinar uh, on which uh, we can do some Q&A. We can interact a bit, which we can't do here on the radio. 
Uh, you can watch a webinar replay as well if you can't make our webinar at the appointed time, which is Monday noon Eastern time. Uh, so you can go check out the webinar on Retirement Lifestyle Advocates, or you can download the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates app. You can also get our Portfolio Watch newsletter, uh, which uh, I would go check out the January 11 issue. You can see that money creation chart uh, that I referred to. And uh, you'll also get uh, the podcast version of this program. So uh, if you're not able to listen to the program on the stations on which it airs, uh, you can check out the podcast that posts uh, every Monday along with the weekly newsletter. Uh, so Monday's the big day that all of our resources update. So check out the website at retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. That's all the time I have for this week. I will be back again next week. I hope you have a great week. <laughs> 